Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. When you come to the Rim, it's a great place to be. Um, For me, this is just home. You know, this is people that I love, that I care about. Some of you, I haven't met you yet, but uh, it's just a privilege and honor for me to be able to have been on the front end of trying to put some things together that would create a Rim church and, and to see this happening. It's beautiful for me. It's wonderful for our family to see that, hey, even when you move back to Atlanta, and you go hang with your grandkids, which is a pretty good deal, right? Okay, so we go and do that. We still feel like there's part of us is here uh, in this in this day in this time. So, hey, there's some stuff I want to share with you that I wanted to uh, read to you just so that I could like re- reinforce what's um, what's important. Um, this is one of my favorite places to be. Um, I got some time with Drew last night just to catch up with him, what's going on in his sabbatical. And I just want to remind you that Drew and Jane, um, man, they are so thankful for you. And they're thankful for this opportunity to have some rest and respite. And and I know uh, how deeply thankful that you are for them as well. And they love life. They love you. Uh, They're looking forward to getting back. But what we're doing is we're praying through this season of sabbatical for him. There, it, biblically speaking, there were consistent times in Scripture where the Lord would pull somebody aside and say, hey, let's have some deep time together for the next run that's coming in front of us. And so that's what is happening in their life. Um, the funny thing about this is, is when he goes to Chick-fil-A or H-E-B, he sees you guys, and some people say, oh, wait a minute, we're not supposed to talk to him. We're not supposed to. So there's no shunning issue here. You know, We want you to run up and just hug him and love him and say, hey, we're so glad that you're getting this time away, and we love you so much. And so don't feel like you have to say, oh, no, 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 I can't. I'm not supposed to go talk about anything that's happening over there. Just go ahead and say, hey, we love you so much. We're so proud of you, and uh, man, enjoy your time and your season away. Now, uh, on me, this is 54 weeks. Uh, 54 weeks ago, uh, we moved from San Antonio to Atlanta. And just so you know how much fun it was, we, we had 17 different housing scenarios between 54 weeks ago and three weeks ago when we got into our home. Um, we had some incentive about getting into our home because we had some babies, uh, some grandbabies in our life. And I think we may even have a picture of a grandbaby. Uh, that's Georgia on the left. She was the Hulk for Halloween. And uh, Ollie, who uh, was actually a squirrel, but at that moment she was gonna about to hit Georgia in the face with the squirrel tail. So very sweet, and um, uh, you, you know how it works. Okay, so and then here's the larger family. If you never got to meet them, I think there's there's a picture of our family. And look at that the the handsome, the most handsome thing in that picture is Chef the dog. Look at that. He's, he's amazing. He's amazing. I think, do we have, is there one other slide or is that, was that it? That's it. Okay, here's the other slide. That's the view from my three weeks ago moved into home. So, uh, so we actually did make it to a home, which is great. And it's nice to have home here. It's nice to have home with you, with people that 
the stuff that we're doing, the stuff that you're doing, is going to make a big difference in the kingdom. So just wanted to just wanted to get that in place before we jump into scripture today. It's super important for us to remember that the community of faith is the community that is family too. And, and that's part of our core tenets. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture. We're going to start at the place where I think James put three things together. And as James put these three things together, he, he, was, he was speaking to our words, he was, he was speaking to our ways, and he was speaking to uh, our works, the things that we do. And so he's, we're going to look at this passage. We're um, in, in chapter 1, when we begin to look at church, we want to look at it through a lens, not of just what we grew up with, but what did Jesus have in mind when he had the church in mind? And this is his church. It's not our church, not my church, not your church. It's our church, but it's Jesus' church, and he's going to build his, his church. So my first experience working on a church staff um, is Porterdale, Georgia. I was a student pastor, and they had 12 students, and all of the family had moved away from the mill village that shut down you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, and the area around the church was, was really pretty depressed. And I didn't know what to do as a student pastor. So I had no idea what to do. So I walked through the community and just met students. And I met kids. And on a regular basis, I would meet these kids. And then they would come to church. And they were getting involved in church. And we had like 20 or 30 kids come to alongside the 12 that were there. And, and there was this huge, like, it felt like, wow, this is an inswell of people coming in to engage with this community of the church. We're going to get the kids, and then we're going to get their parents. And then sometimes we're going to get their parents, and then we're going to get the kids. And those kind of things are going to happen in community when community is outwardly facing and non-partial. When those two things are happening, that's going to that's gonna work. So I got called into a meeting. It was called a deacon meeting. It was a Baptist church, so it was a deacon meeting. I got called in a deacon meeting, and I thought, man, I'm about to get a raise because we went from 12 kids <laughs> to 32 kids in a short amount of time. That's pretty amazing. And, uh, and so I went to the meeting thinking, wow, this is going to be a really good thing. And here's what happened in that church. They looked at me, and they said, hey, we're not so sure we want those river rat kids hanging out with our kids. And I was like, Ooh, wow. Well, that is totally not what I was expecting to hear. And so sometimes the church doesn't step into its destiny. And that was a destiny moment for that church. My resume went out the very next day. And about two weeks later, I, I went to a new place. And, and the place that I was serving, um, we watched it decline and decline and decline and decline over time, because there was some level of partiality that took place there. Now, the other part of partiality in that church was, if I walked into the church and I, and I wanted to get a good pew, there were, there were pillows already sitting in different parts of the, of the pews around, and I didn't realize that I couldn't use one of those, that <laughs> those were like saved seats, you know, for the people that were there. And so it was, listen, it was the sweetest people on the face of the earth, but they didn't catch one of the most important things that God said at the very beginning of the Bible 
that we'll come back to at the end of our time together. So when we're looking at our words, when we're looking at our ways, and we're looking at our works, we want to make sure all three of these are in line, not with what we think it should be, but in line with what Jesus says the reality should be. Do you, do you feel like sometimes the church has an idea that what we're doing here is the most important thing? Actually, what we want to say is the most important thing has happened is what Jesus is doing in you. And when you go back to your neighborhoods or you go back to the places that you work, all of a sudden you have this flow of Jesus activity in your life that can get into the lives of other people. And, and we want people who are, quote, river rats. We want people who are different than us. We want people who are uh, all of the political spectrum because the, the only thing that's going to save our country is Jesus getting in the lives of every person we can probably get him to. So that's what our heart is, is aiming at. That's what our desires are. Now, I want to show you just one other thing. Um, when I moved here in 2016, there's a team called the Atlanta Falcons, and um, I'd lived there for 30, 30 years, and um, I got a nickname uh, in San Antonio of being 28-3 because the uh, unfortunate, unfortunate Patriots, like, came back and crushed us. Now, um, here's another team that, that I like a lot this year. This is a really good team. We don't know what's going to happen because in Atlanta, if you're a sports fan, they just get you enough excited that they dash all your hope against the rocks at the last minute. So that's, that's another one. However, here we go, baby. All right, this is Bray's World Series champion right here. I am partial to this jersey right here, okay? It's okay because what we're about to read is going to be tell us that we should have no partiality, but this is just a team and a jersey, so I can be partial about this. And um, I probably, I, I almost was going to wear this while I preached, but then somebody told me, my wife, that that would be stupid. So, um, <laughs> so we, I, I pay attention to her because she's the smarter of the two. So, um, so what we're doing is we're going back into the back, the last couple of verses, um, just to deal with this passage of where we came, where we landed last week. So in chapter 1, verse 26 of James, it says this, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Okay, so, so when, we're, when we're opening up this passage, we're just doing this for a second because there's a whole chapter coming next week from Austin. And he's going to be talking about this more. But James is the guy that kind of hits you with Proverbs. And he wants it to have a little bit of sting to it. So if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You're going to get a lot more about that next week, so I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot. But what I am going to say is there's warnings in this passage. This first warning is I want to warn you about your words. So the warning is that words create worlds. And the words that someone has said to you at different times in your life has either put you on a trajectory for forward advancement or it has put you on a trajectory for I don't know if I can trust the things that I've been told. Um, so how many of you, like, 
if we were just being super honest, there's nobody else is looking. So when we're, when we're talking about this, nobody in this room, there's no, they're not paying attention. How many of you sometimes have trouble with your words? You know, do, you, do you have that? Okay. All right, so I'm 55, and I've had too much aspartame, so, like, I forget words all the time. I forget my kids' names all the time. You know, I forget, I call my, I, sometimes I call my kids my dog's name, you know, and, and so those kind of things happen. But in reality, what I'm really talking about is when, when you have issues with words, do you wish, have you done something over the last week that you just wish I could reach in and take that back? Anybody, anybody have one of those? Like, I've had those. Okay. See, nobody's raising your hand when it counts, all right? So anybody, anybody have that happen over the past week? Because I'm just trying to feel better about me because I've had about 20 of them. Okay. All right. Great. Fantastic. So this is a reality. This is not just something that is, is passed by. Because listen, when, when my son turned 14, we had a bunch of men over at the house. And a grown man, all this group of grown men were speaking life into my son. And I loved listening to it. It was, it was raising a modern-day night moment, you know. We're going to raise up a warrior. And this man said, hey, Seth, when I was your age, my family didn't have any money, but we would go collect glass bottles off of the highway that people would throw away, and we would go redeem those, and then we would buy candy. That's the only way we could get candy. And I walked into a store that would redeem the bottles so that we could get candy. And the, the owner of the store said, I need you kids to get out of my space because all you're doing is stealing our candy. And they had money. They were ready to do it. And that man said, I'm 50 years old today. And when I was, when I was about 10 or 11, 12 years old, about, about your age, I heard a man say to me, I had no value. Now, he just said, I need you to get out of my space because I don't trust you and I'm impartial toward you. So, have any of you had moments in your life where you would say, hey, I saw a trajectory in somebody's life and I watched them get run down by a few words from someone and all of a sudden their trajectory went from moving forward to moving lower, thinking lower of themselves. So as a church, my challenge to you with these two verses is just very simply this. What can you find that will change the future trajectories of everyone you come into contact with because of your positive words, of your reinforcement in their life, how many of you have had a teacher like I did, Miss Mealy, in second grade, who uh, I, was, I was paralyzed for about a year and a half as a little kid, and I didn't grow very much, so I was tiny, so I was the target on the recess grounds. And so she would say, hey, I want you to stay in here with me. And she, she would stay in here with me during recess, and she would say, hey, I want you to know that I think you're probably the smartest kid in this room, but you don't speak much because they're hurting you. And I want you to know that you need to go out on that playground and I will be a hawk watching after you, making sure that other people believe that you are what God made you to be. In second grade, I remember that. And I get a little misty thinking about it even right now. Have you had that moment from somebody, a mom, a dad, a coach, a teacher, a pastor, 
a student pastor, if you've had one of those moments, like, just raise your hand because we need to see that we have people, if, if, you, if you haven't received it, it's hard for you to believe it. And if you, haven't, if you don't believe it, it's hard for you to pass it on to somebody else. So we have to be warned about our words. We need to be real intentional. We need to look each other in the face, and we need to be honest when we need to be honest, right? So we don't need to be dishonest and just, you know, pump people up with no reality. We need to remind people who they are, and sometimes we forget who we are, and we need somebody to remind us, and sometimes that somebody is you. Sometimes that's you. Okay, so now we're in chapter two. This is where we're going to jump into most of what we're going to talk about um, because we have talked so much about the second half of this passage. Um, In chapter two, this is what we read. Chapter two, verse one. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you have a, a little marker and you want to mark it, just, just circle glorious or at least highlight it in your own mind. Glory is the word that best describe, describes God. It's, it's a word that comes from the Old Testament. It's, it's kavod. It, it's the heavy, weighty part of God. God doesn't have to create culture. He already did. And because he already did the culture that he created, he invites you into with relationship. So my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet... You say to the poor person, stand over here or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now listen, all over America, we have churches gathering all the time. What we, what we long for is not people gathering and going, gathering and going. We want people to gather and we want them to go home and infect everybody with the good news of the gospel that our king wants to value everyone the exact same way. And if you want to know where our king said that, it's in Genesis 127. Genesis 127 says this, God declared at the beginning of mankind to make it uh, make this perfectly plain Chapter 1, verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So if he created male and female, and he said they were good, and when they said male and female were there, they didn't just say it was good. When the man was there, it was good. But when the man and the woman got there to have community together, what they discovered was it wasn't just good. It was what? Very good. That's what scripture says. It was very good. This moment created the opportunity for community. Community was something that God shared with Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve began to share it with the family. And for the rest of history, that's the pattern of what makes a great church. It's it's not just showing up and going. It's gathering and going with a purpose. So our heart is to find that purpose. So if, if we keep just kind of pushing in, 
Verse 3, if you look on favor with the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sir, here in is a good place. You know what mostly I'm thinking when I see somebody that looks like, man, they got money. They could really help me out. Uh, anybody ever see somebody like walk into a room and you know like, oh gosh, my, that's, I, I, I don't want to throw, throw anybody under the bus, but like Brad Hobbs. You know, when Brad, Brad Hobbs walks into the room, everybody knows that guy is like just filth, stank nasty rich, right? And so when I hang out with, with Brad, I think, man, what can Brad do for me that will help me advance myself in my, in my world culture that I'm going to create, right? And so for you and me, when we see somebody who has things, we want to say, how can I get something that I need from this person? And God's design would be like this. Hey, Instead of what you can get, how much can you serve? You know, everybody in this room needs somebody to serve each other in the body of Christ. Everybody needs somebody that will serve, that will step in. Part of giving sabbatical rest to to Drew and Jane is because the challenge that they have with a, a child that needs a lot of attention. And we love that family. So as a church, you are serving that family. And it steps right into this passage. So let's go, let's go on. If, in verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? So in Genesis 127, before creation, God had a plan for your life. And everything that he did when he created you was perfect. And that you are infinitely valuable because you are created in the image of God. Now, because of the fall, we, we, sin came into the equation, and we need to be redeemed in a relationship with Jesus. And because of that redemption possibility, um, I, I don't know if you guys ever had to redeem things at like one of those crazy, you put a quarter in and you get like, 7,000 tokens, and you get a pencil. You remember that? Okay. So, so when that stuff's happening, what Jesus is doing is he's reminding you what my father said in Genesis 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God declared at the beginning of mankind to make it perfectly plain that he decided that we are valuable creations of God. Everyone is. Anyone that walks through that door should be greeted, should have a ring put on their finger and a robe put on their back. And we should treat them as if they're the most important in the ro- person in the room, whether they have, in this passage, lots of money like Brad Hobbs or no money at all like me, okay? So, 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 the, so the reality is, If I'm coming with a posture of wanting to receive from other people, 
if I would turn around and serve everybody, I wouldn't have any problem when somebody needed to serve me. Does this make sense? Okay. So sometimes we wonder why people aren't ready to serve us. And maybe it's because we've had a posture of, I can wait for the moment or I can go ahead just like we talked about in the service, you know, service planning meeting. Like, we love everybody that's here. We want to make sure that everybody feels like they're valuable here. And this is a church that does that. It does that very well. So verse 8, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder so if you do not commit adultery but you murder you're a lawbreaker what we're saying is all of us have places where um, we don't like God's best for us have have you ever like read something in scripture and gone dang (laughs) ah dang like that kind of hurt You know, to read that, that hurt. That was hard for me to read. I don't know if I can do that. Well, here's the good news. Because God created you in his own image, and because Jesus has redeemed you, like, all of the value is right there. Because the good news of Jesus is alive and present inside of you, and is alive and present inside of me. And so, if I break if I break one tenet of the law, that's, that's like breaking the whole law. And if we have partiality, which means I have a bias toward someone, like I have a bias toward this jersey right here, and like I can throw this one away because I'm 28.3. I don't like those. But the reality for me and the reality for you is that we have the opportunity to choose to serve or to be served all the time. And if we choose to serve, then the reports of the church outside the walls of a church starts to take place in the community. And people in the community begin to say, this is a place that I can be safe. This is a place where people care for me, and it doesn't matter. Now, the fact that it's poor people that are talked about in this passage, what God says is, I've given them great faith because everything they need can come from God. And in a community of church where it says, hey, do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. What that means is people see us caring for one another. And when they see us caring for one another, they can be confident that they can be in a church like this. And they can not just serve, but they can be served as well. So if we keep pushing down in this passage, because Jesus redeemed us, All of our sins are taken care of, past, present, and future. And ultimately, what we're trying to step into is we want to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. The law of freedom is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love your who? Yourself. You know it's okay to love yourself. Does it feel selfish sometimes to 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 love yourself some me? Like, I, I, I really like me. I really do. 
I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in my skin right now. I really like me. If you really like me, like, could you just, like, nod your head? You don't have to raise your hand. You can just, like, nod your head. Yeah, I really like me. <laughs> so, so if you really like yourself, like, hey, that's a beautiful thing. Because people have said negative things to your, you your whole life, and you have the freedom to look back at some of those moments and you, you need to say, you know what, that coach was wrong. That parent was wrong. That teacher was wrong. That pastor was wrong. Listen, when my mom sent me out to go to college, you know what she told me over and over again? She said, you will never know how to, how to wash your clothes. You will never know how to dry your clothes. You will never know how to get gas out of the gas pump. You will, she just gave me a list of things. And what was really going on inside of her was she just didn't want me to go away. You know, she didn't, yeah, that was, that's all it was. Mom was like, hey, I don't want you to go away. And so she was reminding me, these are all the things that I do for you. You know, are you just going to go away to college and you're not going to even care about that? Uh, but she had to say it in the ways like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. That's the way that she was communicating to me. And listen, what I think that the church has done in many places is we remind the body of Christ of what we think they can't do. This is, this, this is like one of those James moments where he's like, hey, what if we were the people? What, what if we actually believed in this room that everybody is created in the image of God and they have infinite value? What could we do in these neighborhoods around this spot if we believed everybody in here has a kingdom value to live out somewhere. And the people of God just encourage that like crazy. And it could be tiny little things, tiny little things. Movements never really start with just a massive, amazing, sudden thing unless God like throws a miracle just right down on your feet. But what does happen is when many people take many tiny steps together at the same time and all of a sudden what you've been doing for the last two three years and what you'll be doing for the next two or three years is going to be eclipsed by the reality that all of those little things start to intersect in the mission space of your life just for you walking into a room and being the people who use your words well and who on top of using your words well you, you also have this, listen, this is good for anybody in our community to come into this place. This is a positive reality for everyone to come into this place. We can look at socioeconomic differences and say that's a reason that people can't, no, that's not a reason. That's an excuse. So, so the reality is, you know, we you know, political sides of a spectrum, you can be on, uh, you know, total, like you can be a football player and a cheerleader and you can get along. I mean, all that stuff is going to happen. You and me and, and the rest of, the, of Christendom need to step into a place where we can say, you know what, I don't know where you've come from at all, but I know where you can go with Jesus. And if we know that we can go somewhere with Jesus, it's our obligation to walk the journey with him.
not just to walk it alone, but to walk the journey with them. Okay, so, so this last pa- little passage, I, I want us, it's very familiar. I, I just want us to read it. We're not going to go into deep depth on it, but what, what good is it, my brothers, in verse 14, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? So if you believe in your head and you're not moving things with your body and moving forward into what God's calling you to do, we, we talk a lot about listening to God and then doing something about it. So when we listen to God and we want to do something about it, what we're hoping is the reality that when we hear a message, when we read a passage, when we are encouraged in some capacity, even if you're watching a TV show and God like kind of sits in the room with you and says, this is what's going on in our world. We need to do something about that. Just wherever that comes from, that if you have faith, but we doesn't move us into mission, the church sees people that gather and go home instead of people that gather and go make home for other people. So that, that's, what we're, that's what we're asking. So verse, verse 15 We've got words. <laughs> we we've got in, we've got the ways of Jesus, and we've got the works of Jesus. So, verse fifteen: If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed," but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, if it does not have works, it's dead by itself. So that kind of faith doesn't move the needle in a community. It doesn't move the needle in our own hearts. We want to go home and know we've made a difference today. So someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe and they shudder. What they're saying is sometimes our posture as a church is the same as demons. We know God is there and we fear God, but we don't do anything with it. So, so our goal is not to be the people who stop and act like a demon. I, like I know God's there and I shudder because I know how powerful he is and I know all that he can do. Let the power transfer go from I'm scared to, you know what? I'm going to have the power transferred into my own heart, and I'm going to step out into a place I wouldn't ordinarily go, and I'm going to step into somebody's life, and I'm going to say, listen, I've been watching you. I love you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I would love to be more engaged with you. Would you come to small group with me? Would you go to house church with me? Would you allow us the privilege of being someone in your life who doesn't say you're not worth it? We want to agree with God and say you are worth it, and we're going to take the time to do it. All right. Last paragraph. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? Now, that's a big deal. When Isaac was laid on the altar, he was making a sacrifice of monumental proportion in verse 22, you see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So 
it wasn't just Abraham in his head saying there's a God there. He actually demonstrated a posture of I'm going to do something with it. And then God saw that faith and he pulled everything out to make everything right in a moment. And when he made that moment right, have you ever done that with your own kids? There's a moment where something wrong was happening and you got to play the role of walking them through making the wrong thing right. That is what God does for you every moment of your life and every moment of my life. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Why? Because he was willing to take a drastic step to prove that he wasn't just a believer. He was a believer with a doer's heart. That's what we have in this room, is believers with doers, doers' hearts. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works, receiving the messengers and sending them out on a different route? For just as the body without sp the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So, as we look at these passages today, we, we come to these just really key moments. And the key moments that we're looking at is words make worlds. Let's go out there and make worlds that change people's lives for the better. Ways, the way that we do things in house church, the way that we do things in discipleship, those are the ways that Jesus raised up 12 that turned into half the population of the planet by 350 AD without programs, without pastors, without, I mean, this, it was a door-to-door -door reality. And the third thing is our works that we go to do, they make new believers. And new believers need a community like this that they can grow into with you. You're a special church. You have special leadership here. Drew and Jane are amazing. The staff team is incredible. But it's the people of God who, with COVID, in three short years, <laughs> less than three short years, you have community near you, beside you, and around you. And when you go home and when you go to work and when you go play, we're just asking you to remember that everyone you see is created in the image of God. And as a result of that, they have infinite value that can be redeemed or might already be redeemed, but we don't know how to activate people into that mission. So what we're saying is, all of you who are here, you're activated. Not because I waved my hand, but you're activated because the Holy Spirit is alive inside of you, and you're making a difference in this community, and you're doing it together. 
And I really believe God's going to do amazing things over the course of the next two years that we'll come back on another day and I'll go, my gosh, what in the world has happened in this place? These people are really doing the simple little stuff day by day that makes a movement happen. I want us just to take, you know, about two minutes, 120 seconds to just kind of think about this today. You might even want to think about things like, hey, is it the words, the ways, or the works that I need to work on? You know, which, which one of those are they? But over the next 120 seconds, won't you just kind of think about that? And then we'll have a prayer time together to think about it some more. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.